Hi, Rivka Marga. Why, did anybody hear me? Yeah. Not you, Rafaela. You, the question isn't if you hear me. I hear you. Okay, fine. This is my first time doing, doing a Zoom meeting. We have four minutes till we start. I just wanted to make sure everything was set up. So I'm gonna go like breathe and get my chumash. I just, ah, this is so cool. Hi. Sorry, <laughs> I just had to get that out. I'll be back soon. Oh, bye. In water. So till we start, you could say hi. Hi, Marga. Hello. Oh my goodness, this is so cool. I, I I never did this before, so I don't even know like where I'm supposed to look or see or be. So, Rivka Marga, you look great. This is the first day, the first day in twelve days that I put on lipstick. <laughs> If we're gonna learn tire, we gotta have some, we gotta have some some lipstick, right? Yeah. Awesome. We're gonna start in one minute. Yay! We're starting class on time. <laughs> I just have to chase Rachelay away because she's still standing on the side. Go take a shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Oh. There you go. Just gotta switch sides. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, this. Oh. Do we have any peppers in the house? Eight o'clock, and we're starting. Class is on. <laughs> this is so fun. Okay. Hello, everybody. Not good morning, but uh, hi. This is very weird. I have to tell you, I'm um, I'm not sure where to look. I do I don't do very well with vid with uh, Facebook video stuff, so this is even more stressful for me. But Mark and Chef, it'll be good. It'll be good. Okay. So where are we now? This week is Parshas Tzav. I don't know if anybody grabbed the chumash with them because I always say bring a chumash, and then I realize we never actually use it. But here we are. So, um, we are in the second parsha of Chomesh Vayikra. And um, so, first of all, by way of introduction, because we always start by way of introduction. Um, Vayikra is in the, in the Gemara and the Rambam, it's called Tyrus Kahanim, the laws for the Kahanim, for the priests. Now, a, a chunk of those, a chunk of the Chomesh is in fact going to be laws for the Kohanim, with, and, but it also is a lot, a lot of mitzvahs in general. Um, and we're going to have to talk about why do things 
why do you have called Paris Kahanim that really is going to apply to everybody? Um, we'll get to that in a second. And if I don't, somebody please remind me that that's where I wanted to go back to. Um, uh, how do I? Yeah, sorry. Just getting distracted. Okay. Um, okay, so that's first of all. Second of all, before we forget, I want to mention that this Shabbos is Shabbos Haggadol. Okay, this is the Shabbos before uh, the Shabbos before Pesach. It's called Shabbos Haggadol. By the way, anybody who has their, their videos off could totally turn them on. I don't care if you're in pajamas. I would so like to see you. Um, so that's first of all. And so this week is Shabbos. This Shabbos is Shabbos Haggadol. And um, and why is it called Shabbos Haggadol? Because of the big miracle that happened to the Jewish people in Mitzrayim on this specific Shabbos. Okay, first of all, it happened this Shabbos. As is this year, Shabbos in Pe in Israel. Ooh, Shabbos in Mitzrayim wa was also Yud Nisan. It was the same day as uh, this year. It's Miriam Hanavia's Yartzeit, not the year they left Mitzrayim, but we're going to be forty years later. So Yud Nisan is Miriam Hanavia's Yartzeit, um, and it's also called Shabbos Hagadol because this was the day that the Yidden were told in Mitzrayim to go take a, a set, go take a lamb, tie it to your doorpost, and to, in four days, you were going to slaughter it and bring a carbon Hashem, and you were gonna leave it is, you know, you were leaving time and everything's gonna be wonderful. And that was the Shabbos that the Mitzrayim, the Egyptian firstborn, saw the Jews taking the cat, their animals, tying them like, hey, why are you guys handing animals on Shabbos? We know, you, we, know, we know you guys don't do that. They're like, oh, we're gonna slaughter your God. And four days, and we're going to leave. And you guys are going to die. It's going to be awesome. And there, and 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 David Amel says in Tehillim that there was in fact a war that started from the firstborns protesting. At this point, they really believed when God said, "We're going to all, you guys are going to all die. You're all going to die. And you better like get your act together and get the Jews out." And so this Shabbos was actually a civil war in Egypt, and it was the firstborns fighting for the Jews to get them out. And this is the first time, this is one of the reasons that this is called Shabbos HaGadol is because this is the first time that we have the enemy turning around and becoming our help. This is the time that we have the enemy fighting for us and saying, come on, they need to go, they need to go, they need to go. So the, one of the reasons, by the way, that we celebrate the Shabbos and not Yud Nisan is because of Miriam and Abiyah's yard site, so we don't want to like overwhelm it. And also because it was something specifically that happened on Shabbos. So, um, so we have this, some customs for Shabbos Haggadah, uh, certain, uh, most people have a custom to say part of the Haggadah on Shabbos afternoon. Uh, you stay from Avadim Hayinu till L'chafra al which is about like the first, I don't know, eight, nine pages of it. And um, it's, if, if you have a blue Chabad sitter in the back and it has a part of the Haggadah, it'll have you, it'll show what you have to say. I probably should have checked the pages, but I didn't, I'm sorry, I apologize. Ooh, you can see the mommy's hands flying. Um, sorry. Uh, so this is Shabbos Haggadol. And so this is this Shabbos. And we also have, uh, we started the countdown really to Pesach. Like if we haven't gotten our act together, this is really the time to start uh, thinking about it. It's probably a good idea to start getting your matzah and your, your wine into the house and maybe moving some chametz away. If you have not yet sold your chametz, please make sure to sell your chametz. That is the end of my public service announcements. Um, if you're in Israel and you need a form, you can WhatsApp me afterwards and I'm happy to send you the form online. Otherwise, find your local Orthodox rabbi and make sure that you sell it with them. Okay, Parsha Sav, where are we? So if anybody had a chance to look at the Parsha, they will notice something very interesting, very repetitive. We did a lot of this stuff last week. Last week, Parsha's Vayikra started off. Let me just take a look and see. Uh, Parshas Vayikra starts off, which we spoke about a little bit last week. Vayikra al Moshe that Hashem calls to Moshe, and he speaks to him from the oil Mayit, and he says to speak to the Jewish people and say to them, Adam Hashem, somebody from the Jewish people who wants to bring a sacrifice to Hashem, and the, from the animals and the different kind of animals, a sheep, and blah 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 blah. It goes into this whole conversation, and then it goes on and it describes all the different sacrifices in a very organized fashion. It talks about the Ola sacrifice, which is a sacrifice that is totally burnt up. Um, it talks about the Chata, it's a sin offering. 
part, which parts get burnt on the altar, which parts go to the Kohanim, and then we talk about the Shlamim, which is a complete offering where everybody gets part of it, part goes on the altar, part goes on, part goes to the Kohanim, and part goes to the owners of the sacrifice. And they're all brought for different kind of reasons, okay? Then this week's Parsha, Parsha Tzav, is gonna start off with, one second, Parsha Tzav starts off, um, Parsha Tzav starts off, that Shem speaks to Moshe, saying, Tzav is Aaron Bonavs, command Aaron and his sons, and tell them, this is the Torah of the Ola. This is, and it goes on to the, it talks about the Ola that's consumed on the Mizbeach all night long till the morning, and the, the Eish HaMizbeach Tukadva, and the fire that's on the Mizbeach should burn there. And it's, then we're going to get to that in a second. But basically what's going to happen is that we are going to end up having the first half of our Parsha is going to be a total repetition of the sacrifices that we had last week's Parsha with slight additions. The two main differences that we're going to find, first of all, is that Parsha Sav is commanded to the Kohanim specifically. So some of the Parsha want to say that the differences that are given in this Parsha have to do more with uh, the details that are relevant for the Kohanim. The people, Joe, Joe Jew, who brings a carbon or, or you know, whoever uh, comes and brings a carbon, you don't deal with the you don't deal with on the altar stuff. You bring your animal, you do your part, and then the client has to take it. And the client has to really know what part goes here and what part goes there. And this goes there, we take this fat, blah, blah. They have to know the details. You don't have to know the details. You have to know what your emotional part of the, of the service is. You have to know that you're bringing an animal and it's not just you're gonna like, you know, kill an animal and everything should be okay. There's a whole conversation that goes on with this. There's a person and, and I'm going to repeat this because not everybody was in our class this week. We didn't get into all the all the details, but we talk about Adam Kiyakrov Mikem. The Alter says that really the word carbon comes from Kairov to be close. The point isn't just to kill an animal. The point of carbon is how do we draw close to Hashem, and this is a way that we draw close to Hashem. So the part that the person has to know about is. What do I need to do to get close to Hashem? What is my part in this conversation? What is my part in the drawing close of the, of the, of the, of the, of whether it's, whether it's atonement, whether it's Thanksgiving, whatever it is that I'm doing with my sacrifice, I have to know what my part of it is. Uh, so Sav is going to start off and it's going to start, it's going to start talking about what's the Kohen, what do the Kohanim need to know, need, sorry, need to know. And there are going to be slight differences about that get added in for all the carbonists, different add-ons to the carbonists, different details about the sacrifices. That's going to be the first half of Parsha Tzav. The second half of Parsha Tzav, Revi, Hamishi, Shishi, Shvi, is going to be the conversation of the Kohanim's induction into the service in the Beis HaMikdash. No, in the Mishkan. Because it's talking about Aaron and his four sons. And it's going to really cover the week before the inauguration of the Mishkan. So really, it's talking about the last week of the month of Adar because we know that next week's Parsha Shemini is gonna open up on the first day of Nisan. This is gonna start, this is the pre-work here. Maisha is the Kayin Gadol. Maisha is doing all the work and he's going to be introducing and educating Aaron and his children in the service of the, base of, in the, service of the Mishkan. And from that point, having gone through the seven day period, they will then have the genetic ability to pass this Kohen gene onto their onto their children okay so this this happened this week service only ever happened to Aaron and his four sons and then later on whoever was born into the family they 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 were Kohanim um, so that is really very much what's going on now the truth that, stop me. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that the details of this induction or this orientation ceremony, whatever we're going to say, um, we already heard in Parshas Titzaveh. We had about, we heard about it. We have some more of it now, but that's pretty much. Um, but but so in a way, we have to say, wait. So what's new? What are we adding on? What are we not? What did we not have before? And what what is being taught to us now? So I want to talk about a couple of things. And then we're going to try to make some kind of challenge out of whole everything together. 
So a couple of, a couple of things that are relevant in, as far as sacrifices are concerned, because we don't have sacrifices, right? We're not bringing sacrifices today, you know, when the basement dish is going to be rebuilt and we'll have a chance to bring sacrifice again, that's going to be a different conversation. But for right now, this hire is putting so much detail into this whole conversation. And the question really is, why? What is in it? I don't say what's in it for us. That sounds very bad. But the question is, what, what are some things that we can take from all these lessons about the sacrifices and say, you know, how does, how does it make a difference in my life today? How does it have to impact the way I behave, what I do, where I'm going to go? So a couple of things from last week's Parsha that I want to start with. Um, just quick things. I'm not going to get into them in great detail. They're familiar. And I want, I think, but I think that important things are worth repeating. So first of all, one of the things that we're going to talk about is that one part of every single sacrifice that was always put onto the altar was the fat. The fat of the animals was always put onto the altar. And uh, what, how is that relevant to us? Because fat is the place that it, you know, I know it's like a bad thing. Nobody's going to have fat in their diet, blah, 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 blah. But really, um, that's, where, that's where your energy is coming from. And the place of being able to have passion and energy and kayach for anything, it, that's, that's the fat of it. That's the, you know, we talk about, that, that's like the, the good part of it. So when we talk about where does our fat have to go, where does our passion have to be, where does our excitement have to be, the first thing that we have to know is that it has to be God-directed. If it's not going to be God-directed, it's going to be going someplace. It's not not going anyplace. It has to be God-directed. It has to be something that we can bring into our service of Hashem. We have to bring our passion. We have to bring our talents. We have to bring the stuff that makes us rich and yummy. I know. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about my vegetarians. I, I apologize. I had it aside. But... Um, uh, that's what we have to bring to God. All the parts that are so us, that so enrich our lives, have to be, first of all, brought up onto our, into our service of Hashem. There's nothing that we can say, and you've all heard this from me hundreds of times. Whatever it is that's your talent, your passion, your ability, somehow has to come into your service of Hashem. Because if it doesn't, there's a very big part of you that is not included in your service of Hashem. And then, and then what? Like, Who's, who's meant to bring that up if you're not meant to bring that up? So that's the first thing I want to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about, also from last week's Parsha, but again, very relevant, is that every single sacrifice had salt on it. Now, practically speaking, they were very, very heavily salted. Salt, salt. Yeah? Um, the animal sacrifices had salt. The grain offerings had salt. The wood offerings had salt. So, um, so there's clearly something that's very important about salt. Um, and what's also very interesting is that there are two items that we're told are never, ever, ever allowed to be brought onto the Mizbeach. And anybody, what are they? Two things. Honey, right? Jenna, honey. And, and yeast, right? Honey and yeast. Okay, two things that are never brought onto the, I re look, read a little bit. Um, uh, two things that are never brought onto the Mizbeach are honey or any kind of sweetener and yeast. Now, what's the difference between salt and honey and yeast? So one of the things we've spoken about a lot of times in color baking is that what does salt do? Salt brings out the best of the whatever it is. It, it brings out the flavor in the other. It's not so much a flavor for itself, but it's definitely an enhancer and it brings out the flavor that's already there yeast and honey to different degrees kind of enhance slash cover um, what it is. It changes the person to a degree. Um, so uh, what we talk about, what are the things, what are the qualities that we want to bring in our service Hashem? We want the places that are, we want the salt quality in that which allows us to bring out the best of ourselves. We don't want that our, who we are and who our essence is gets changed so that we don't recognize it. Salt is the way of bringing out whatever it is that we already have. It's enhancing our ability, enhancing our personality, enhancing all of our, our, our talents. And that is what we want to bring to Hashem. The things that are going to cover us up 
whether it's the yeast, which is going to inflate it to a certain degree, and I know it's before Pesach, we're not even allowed to say the word yeast, but there you have it, I said the word yeast, um, or honey, which is, is, you know, it's a sweetener, like what's bad about a sweetener, but that place of it not really, it's sort of being superimposed on you, those are the things that we don't want. When we talk about our relationship with Hashem, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be sweet, we for sure should be sweet, of course we should be all the other qualities, but that place of that place of our, of our true who we are, our real essence coming out, that's what's the first most important thing that we need to have over here. And that's really going to be salt as opposed to a honey sweetener that's going to cover up uh, who, who we are. You know, one of the things we talk about often is that we need to recognize ourselves along the process. And that's really, I feel like, what salt is going to do. Salt in the right amount and that attitude of... of uh, you know, being able to identify ourselves. We're in a relationship with God, we're growing, we're developing, all the stuff, and we should be able to identify who we are as we go along in that process. So those are two things that I wanted to talk about, again, from last week's Parsha, but I think still very, very relevant. Now, this week's Parsha, we're going to start Parsha's Tzav, uh, a couple of things. So first of all, Tzav is going to be familiar to us because where do we have this word? Where else do we have this word? What are, we, what are the things that we do? Call? Mitzvot. Mitzvot, right? Mitzvot comes from the same root of tzav. I know I didn't give enough words to fill that one in. Um, so mitzvah. Now, generally speaking, we do not have mitzvahs introduced with the term tzav. We have Amira, we have Daber, Vaydaber Hashem Moshe, Vayomar Hashem Moshe. We very rarely have Tzav et, to command the Jewish people. And yet we know that all our mitzvahs are in fact called mitzvahs. They're, and we know, because we've all learned to this a little bit, that a mitzvah both commands and connects, right? Mitzvah both from the, lesh, the, the word of Tzavta to connect and from the, the word of, of a commandment. And somehow, by Hashem speaking to us with this word of tzav, he's in fact creating a connection where none should be there organically, right? You have a connection when you have two things that are of the same, bigger or smaller, but they're in the same conversation, right? You don't say, I mean, I don't know, maybe today you could say, but you don't say what taste is two plus two. Those they, those concepts don't connect, right? Right? You, you, need, you could say it's a bigger number, it's a smaller number, you can make jokes about how much two plus two is, but, but you need to have something that the connection has to be there someplace. We talk about Hashem, we talk about God Almighty. He's so much bigger, so much more. Where do we come into the conversation? Where do we come into this place of saying, have a relationship with me, do something, how can we say, oh, you know, God, I would love to have a relationship with you. Like, who are you? You know, like I said, what, where is this even coming from? But we have it because God says, because Hashem says he reaches out to us and he commands us. And when he commands us, he creates that connection that allows us to tap into the relationship. Meaning, if he didn't step up first and say, he didn't create this link. He didn't say, these are manners by which you can be connected with me. Then we would never be able to be connected to Hashem. We, we couldn't bridge that gap. It's too big. It's too vast. It's too, too different. There's no way that we as human beings could bridge that gap, except for the fact that Hashem says, Tzav. Hashem uses that language. And he says, all our mitzvahs at the end of the day, even though they're phrased in like, Nice language. How do you feel about this? Could you please? Would you like to? How do you feel about this mitzvah? Really, at the end of the day, we call them all mitzvahs. Really, every single thing that Hashem asks of us is a way of connecting with Him. And He really would like us to do it very much, even though He phrases it in very, like, most of the time, phrases it in, like, very nice, gentle language, um, but that he, he really feels kind of strongly about us doing mitzvahs. Just as a side note, I, I have it on good authority. Um, so that's, that's Tzav. That's the first thing I want to say, speak about Tzav. The other thing that I want to speak about, it's so well, the time is great. 
Um, I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk a little bit about the whole um, inauguration system of the of the Kohanim, of what happened. Because the truth of the matter is, just going to be so much conversation. Kohen, 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 Taurus Kohanim, and that. This didn't last for a long time. This is not a law that happens for forever. The the this is a one shot deal. This, you know, half of the Torah portion is uh, half the Torah portion is talking about the a one week event in Jewish history, which as we know is kind of small in the, in the scheme of things. One week out of out of Jewish history is not a lot of time. It's not even a recurring event. Um, and so there's a whole conversation about what goes on. First of all, it's very interesting what happens over here. Um, um, there, there's what they had to do. What, basically what happened was, it's really hard to teach from home, what can I tell you? I don't know where her headphones are. Um, um, so first of all, we're going to have a conversation of things, different sacrifices that they're going to have to bring. And Maisha is actually going to do all the service for that first week. It's going to be a learning ceremony, a week, and uh, of Maisha bringing all the sacrifices, dressing them. He, he lifts them. Talks about it, if, you, if you're following along at all, in chapter 8, verses 3, 4, 5, all those, those beginnings, he's, he, uh, he dresses the Kohanim. And he all, you know, they, they don't have that many clothes, but they dress all five of them. This was Moshe's job. And then he talks about bringing the different sacrifices. And every single day they would do this. Um, and um, one of the things that he did, which is pretty cool, is that he took the anointing oil. It's in Shvi, the last aliyah. That he took the Shem and HaMishcha, this the anointing oil, and he put it on their foreheads. And he, it's like he kind of, he pulls it on their head and drips between their eyes. And he like does this left and right kind of thing so that they get anointed. Um, and then, it, and then he, another really cool thing that he does, it says that, and I can, of course I can't find it because I didn't mark it in my punish before, but he does tnufa. Every single sacrifice that gets brought, there's a, there's a movement called tnufa. It's a raising and lowering and a forward and in. Up, down, in, out. And so one of the things that Aaron does in the, sorry, one of the things that Moshe does in the induction service, that he picks up the Kahanim to the service of Hashem. He literally picks up Aaron up and down, in and out, and his four sons, he picks them up in and out as if they are a sacrifice being brought uh, to, to Hashem. Um, and what's interesting is that he says to them, part of the instructions is that they are not allowed to leave the Mishkan space, it's in the Mafir, that they're not allowed to leave from the doors of the oil made for seven days till the days are full. Uh, for seven days I'm going to fill your hands. And just like uh, we did this day, Hashem's command to atone for you and they're not allowed to leave for the seven days. So we're going to have this, this number seven coming up. Where else? in Jewish history, have we have, have, do we have a seven-day cycle? We're having the Kohanim are not allowed to leave the Beis HaMikdash, or, well, it's not the Beis HaMikdash, I'm sorry, it's the Mishkan area for seven days, okay? And there's a whole conversation. How do they, you know, where can they go? Where do they, where do they sleep? Where do they go to the bathroom? Like, all these kind of things like are part of the conversation. Where, what happens to them for the seven days? So just parenthetically, Every single day, Moshe would set up the Mishkan and take it down because he was showing them how the whole thing works. So the place of where they're going to actually sleep uh, becomes less crucial because the Mishkan is taken down. So they leave all the stuff there. It's like, you know, unfold the, the whole situation. And then they would, and so they would, but, but they had to stay in that, that area. They couldn't like go away from the area. So if I was going to ask you, seven day cycles, where do we have them? Could you, could you unmute yourself and talk? I'm Sukkot. Not good. What? Sukkot. Sukkot. Okay, we have Sukkot. Seven day cycles. Another one. Creation. Creation. The week. Yeah. The week. Seven days of the week. Seven the years of Shemitah. Seven years of Shemitah. A woman. Sheva Brachot. 
Sheva Brachot. And paralleling Sheva Brachot, what else do we have? Who knows what, paral what parallels Sheva Brachot? Shiva. 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 Right? Yeah. Shiva. Shiva is a parallel for, for, uh, for, the, for that. So what's interesting is that the seven days that the Kohanim are going to be spending in the Mishkan is actually going to be a lot of those pieces coming together. So, for example, over here, in where it talks about Yamim Yimale, that the days will be full, the word Male is actually written without a vav. It's written Chaserash. It points out it's written, the word full is written lacking. Because there's something that the, the Kohanim here have to fill and have to correct of different things that are going to be lacking. One of the things that they're going to have to correct is creation. Remember, six days of creation, we have the first week. What happens on day six? Like it starts off awesome and amazing. What happens on day six? We got a little too excited about the fruit. <laughs> we got a little too excited about the fruit, exactly. And so they end up having a grace period of staying in Gan Eden through Shabbos. But that, that whole seven-day perfect creation didn't actually happen. It got, something went off on day six. So by the Kohanim here, staying in for those six, for that full week, there's a place that they are in fact repairing that first uh, round of seven. Another thing, a lesser known seven, is that, um, is that before Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol had to spend seven days in seclusion to make sure that he was tahar, that he was able to do the service. He was separated from his family for, excuse me, for seven days. And since Aharon is going to be taking over the service in seven days, he's having this time of seclusion before. The other thing, which is interesting because the Talmud tells us that really you should sit shiva for a person in their lifetime, not after they pass away, except there's a little flaw in the plan, right? Because you never know when you're going to die. So if you were going to, if you would know, slash, if you were God, you could do the shiva beforehand. And what is going to happen? Here's the spoiler. If you haven't seen the movie, I apologize ahead of time. What happens in Parsha Shmini? The day that the the Mishkan is, in fact, up and running as it should be. What happens? Don't Aaron's sons die? Exactly. Two of Aaron's sons bring an offering to Hashem that is not authorized, and they die. So, in effect, Hashem is arranging for them to spend the week, the family together, to, in effect, sit Shiva for the brothers who are going to pass away. And, um, and so they're going to have, like, this whole... You know, you know, before the Mabel, when Hashem was going to destroy the world, we also have Mesushelach passes away, Methuselah. Such a fun name, you have to say that more often, Methuselah. Um, so he passes away, so they have seven days of mourning where Hashem is in fact sort of preparing and prepping the world for sitting Shiva for the destruction that was going to be coming. So here we have the Kohanim are going to be in this, this space. They have to stay focused, even if the actual Mishkan is not going to be standing for the whole time. But they have to, uh, but they have to be in that area. Whether you know the thing gets taken down and they wherever it is that they are, they're going to hang around, and and it becomes it becomes a lesson for the Kohanim, and I think it becomes a lesson for us as well. Um, one of the lessons for the Kohanim is that obviously, if you need to take care of your own stuff, like you could go out of the Mishkan. It's not like you're a hostage to the Mishkan, um, and you're not allowed to leave ever, ever, ever. Um, the place of the place of what, the, what, what they're being asked to do is to stay focused on the service of Hashem. They're being asked to be present and to be there. Whether they are actually doing the service or they're off duty, that is where their mind should be. Their mind should be on their service. You know, you don't want to go to, I don't know, you don't want to go to the hospital or you don't want to surgery. And the, and the surgeon takes out a phone, you know, gets a call in the middle of surgery. Like, that's not cool, right? The Kohanim, when they are on watch, when they are in the house of God, they are there present. They're there. They're not like, you know, on the side, they're running their little business, you know, in, in their downtime for bringing sacrifice. They're like doing something else. Um, and I think that for us, it's such a powerful lesson um, as, you know, because here's the deal. We currently, shocking news, we currently don't have a temple, okay? I know it's like, 
very shocking news to most of us, but that is in fact the updated as of today news. And yet, and yet we are, I know, it could change. The news of today is changing very, very quickly, very quickly, anything could happen. So, um, but for right now, that is in fact the news. But we are, to build, we are asked to build a home for God here in ourselves. Each and every one of us need to build a home for God. That means that we are the acting priests in our home for God. And so the lessons and the things that the priests need to know become relevant to us today. That means we might say, we once upon a time we were able to be in Mayanot and complain about the lasagna and you know go to classes. We didn't complain as some people did, some people did, it doesn't matter. But you know, all we had to do was show up and learn and be focused. And now we live in the real world and we don't, you know, it's that's not our reality right now. But but whatever time it is that we have set aside for learning, we have to really be there. We have to really be present for whatever the learning is that we're doing, whether it's the X amount of time that we're able to dive in. We have, we have, you know, 10 minutes, a half an hour. What it doesn't matter what you have, it doesn't matter how much time you actually have, but the time that you have for davening and for learning should be real time. It should be focused time. Your phone should be off. Your distractions should be put to the minimal, and you should be able to be there. Wherever it is, the amount of time being able to give Hashem should be focused time. Where, where our, our mindset has to be that we are here now, and this is what we're doing. We're not going out, we're not running around, we're not doing, I think we're all getting some experience with that now, like staying in one place and doing one thing at a time because like we have all the time in the world right now. It's not a bad lesson to take with us. It's not a bad lesson for us to be able to learn and say, when this ends, because it's gonna end very quickly, please God, how do we hold on to that focus? How do we hold on to that place of being able to do one thing at a time? Because that's all I have to do. Right now I'm serving Hashem. Right now I'm learning. Right now I'm davening. Right now I'm talking to my mother. I'm talking to a friend. I'm Whatever it is, could I be there? Can I be focused? Can I be present? Can I be there? That's what I need to do. I need to, I need to learn from the Kahanim to just be wherever it is that I am going to be. Um, so that's one thing that I think is very important to do. And another thing that I think is very important for us to to talk about for a second is that in the beginning of the in the beginning in the in the beginning of the in the beginning of the parsha when it talks about the oila there's a there's like two lines and we if anybody says karbanas and davening then this is part of this is part of this the, what we say there it talks about uh, taking some of the ash off of the mizbeach every single day and basically putting it next to the Mizbeach. There's actually two mitzvahs that are uh, Pasuk, Gimel, and Dalit, three and four in chapter six, give us two different mitzvahs. One is every single day, the first thing that they did, sometimes it was pre-dawn, their day started very, very early. The first Avaida was a Kayan would go up onto the ramp of the Mizbeach in the Beis HaMikdash, just for, for proportion, not the Mishkan, in the Beis HaMikdash, the Mizbeach was 32 feet by 32 feet. There are all the people who need to translate that into meters. I don't know what it is. It was very big. Okay, it's 32, a square 32 feet. It's very, very big. It had multiple fires on it. it had, the main fire was in the center. There's a conversation that there were two other fires or three other fires. Every single day, there was an Avaida. The first Avaida of the day was to go up the ramp and go with a special kind of like, I guess like a shovely little maybe like a dustpan kind of thing but made of silver and the crane had to go into the main fire and take ash from the bottom like from the bottom of whatever the pile was because if you burn stuff it makes ash and so they have to dig in and pull out some ash and then go down the ramp and the ramp was on the southern side and they would make a left and a left and they would deposit the ash on the side of the mizbeach it would be on the East, south, you go down. Yeah, yeah, you're on the east side. And they would just put it down there on the eastern side of the Mizbeach. Close, there was a, a shovel, basically a shovel of ash that was taken out. Every so often, when the ash got to be too much, 
there was that. So that mitzvah is called uh, Trumas Hadeshen. A truma was a gift of Deshen of ash. Um, and there's also something Hitzos um, Hadeshen that when the ash got to be too much, they have to like soup it up and start all over again. There was a whole, there was a whole discussion with Gemara about keeping the ash shaped in a beautiful polikapuach. It was kept in an apple shaped pile of ash. And when it got to be too much, I saw, I once saw a measurement that I think it was like when you got to be like a ton of ash, they would like somehow get it off. I guess on a big surface of such a mizbeach that you, it could hold a lot of ash. Not, not the mishkan in the base of mikdash, that was. And they would take it off someplace else out of the mishkan uh, to a holy place and they would put it there. Now, it's part of it, it's, it's, it's listed under the avoid on the service of bringing the carbon oil. Carbon oil is a sacrifice that's totally burnt up to Hashem. Um, and, uh, but it's brought as a, like kind of as a, in those lines over there, it talks about this whole thing of taking the ash out. And, and ash is very interesting because Hasidus talks about what is ash. Ash is residue of fire, okay? Now, it could be very depressing. Ash could be very depressing because it tells us that I was once on fire and now I'm not, right? That's what ash is. Ash is, there was once a fire. If there was never a fire, if there is still a fire, there's no ash. The ash is left, it's black, it's cold, and it tells us that once upon a time there was a fire. Now there's, then Chazidus explains that there's two kinds of that type of attitude. There's a part that every single day motivates us. It's something that we keep close to the Mizbeach, it's something that we keep close to ourselves. And it says, it tells us, we know how to do this. Right now, we maybe aren't so inspired, but we know that we know how to get fire. We know that we were connected to fire and we know that we know how to do that. And as long as that is a place of motivation, that is a daily place where we say, Today, I'm going to do it different. Today, I'm going to do it better. Today, I'm going to tap into what I know I'm capable of, I'm capable of doing. But every so often, the ash gets to be too much. And then it's not a positive thing anymore. Then that ash is no longer something that motivates me to be better. It's not something that says, you know how to tackle the fire. You know how to tap into the fire. This is the, the big thing. is like, oh, I can't. I can't. And what's the answer to that, Ash? Out, out. It's not part of the Mizdeach. It's not part of the service of Hashem. It's not part of the Mishkan. It's not part of the Mesa Mikdash. It has to go out. It has to be removed. It has to be taken away from us because that isn't constructive. It isn't going to help us tap into the fire that we know we really have. And so, uh, so the first thing that I want to tell all of us is that there are, th- there are days and there are times in our day, and I think this time period that we're in is kind of a little bit testing this part of us. Bennett, do we have to? Can we still? I can't believe we're still blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes, we can. We know where the fire is. We know how to do it. We know how to connect. We know how to talk to each other and we know how to be on fire. Absolutely. And that, so that place of saying, right this second, I'm really not, but I really know how to do it. That is, that is ash that's constructive. But the place that sometimes it gets too much for us, we have to know that's when we reach out to somebody who said we have to get help and take it away, get it away from us, get it out. It's not constructive, it's not healthy, it's not gonna help us move forward in our service of Hashem. And so we have to really be very, very vigilant about is this feeling of like, <sighs> is it like my daily, come on, Come on, Mark. You know you can do this. You know you could, you could block off five minutes and dive in like with patience. You know what I mean? You know you could dig for. You can dig for tolerance. You know you can dig, dig for positivity when you really want to rip your hair off. I rip my hair off. It's going to be bad afterwards. But, um, but um, that that's one thing. And, the, and and really that part is is that's something that is that is in fact constructive. That place of challenging ourselves to be better, to understand that this ash means that we know how to make fire, that's always going to be good. And to be able to tap into that and to be able to understand that sometimes if ash is too much and that has to be taken away and it's, we can't say, oh, that's good. It's not good. When it gets too much and it weighs us down too much, it's never going to be good. And we just have to 
get it out. We have to say, this is not helpful. The, the, this, experience, this is not going to help us connect. We need to go back to that small amount of ash that really is part of my service that inspires me to go forward because I know that I know how to do it. Um, so that's kind of uh, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. I really, I, I wanted to, to give us all a bracha. I'm not, I, in case I wasn't planning on having this class go till nine o'clock. I was, there's another class going on at nine. So I wanted to give us all a bracha that, uh, that this is the week that Hashem is, he's tzav, it's, 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 it's strong, it's strong language, but he's connecting, he's connecting to us individually, we as the Kohen of our little Beis HaMikdash, um, he's connecting to us and he's saying to us, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be connected to you. And there are ways to do it. And there are ways to, we know what to do. If we don't know what to do, do we know who to ask and to figure out what is my next step and where do I need to go? But whatever it is that we end up doing, whatever time we give to our davening, to our learning, to our connection, we have to do it like a Kohen, which is focused 100% to be present, to be there, to be so on point that it, that it becomes inspiring. It be, we, we, we stay on fire. And so that in the morning, it's like, yeah, a little bit. So we could, that, that little bit of, here we go again, actually becomes part of our service at Hashem. And that's the part that we start the day off. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to scoop up some of that. Come on, brush this off. It's going to be part of our service, and we're going to be coming in with energy, with fire, with passion, with dedication. Um, and I want to give us all a bracha that, yeah, that we get to have all this stuff happen in real. It feels like we are on the cusp of something major, major, major. Um, and definitely the Reagan's going to be in my house. So, um, yeah, first off, Beis uh, HaMikdash, and uh, we're all ready, and we should have a little bit of, we should hold on and should be able to dig for positivity and passion and energy and connectedness because that's really, that's what we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to the simcha. We need to hold on to, we need to hold on to the, to each other. And we need to hold on to our belief that really big things are happening. Um, this class was dedicated in my head, if not out loud, to Chaim Asher ben Arya Leib, my friend's father who passed away today. Um, and we should only have simchas, we should only have a revealed good, easy to understand good. Um, the challenges that we're all dealing with now, personally, collectively, should be over quickly and easily. And Hashem should show us his amazing, amazing vision with love and with mercy. And we should all be ready to dance, ladies. That, you know, we, it's Miriam Hanavia's yard site on Shabbos. And um, what do we know about Miriam? That she told the women to be ready, to be ready for miracles, to have tambourines and have musical instruments ready because big things were coming. So we're ready to, we're ready. We can do this. We have, we have our smiles ready. We have our drums ready. We're ready. To, I don't have a drum. That's not true. Um, we have pots and pans and spoons and we're ready for, we're ready for amazing, amazing miracles. Love you all. This has been awesome. And, um, we should do this again. And there's Thank class you. if you need at Come nine o'clock. Thanks, you're the best one Thank you. Take care. I'm out. Good job. Good job. Good job.